You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Welcome, everybody, to Wealth Tech on Deck. Thanks for joining us. As our listeners know, we talk about the confluence of human and digital advice from all angles wealth management, workplace retirement asset management, insurance and annuities, and of course, the role financial technology plays in connecting all these dots to improve outcomes for all. Today, we're going to have a conversation with some folks who have built a business in the workplace retirement sector and have been tirelessly seeking to help participants, record keepers, sponsors, and tech companies come together around improving outcomes for everyone in the value chain. Spencer Williams is Retirement Clearinghouse's founder, president, and CEO, and also the president and CEO of Portability Services Network. And Neil Rehnquist is the chief revenue officer for both Retirement Clearinghouse and for Portability Services Network. We'll be hearing about both in a moment. Spencer and Neil are longtime friends in the business, and uh, I welcome you to Wealth Tech on Deck. Glad to have you aboard. Thanks, Jack. It's great to be here. Thanks, Jack. Likewise. So, Spencer, um, why don't you kick it off and explain to our listeners why you started Retirement Clearinghouse way back when, how that turned into uh, Portability Services Network. We'll talk about that as well, I'm sure. But what does Retirement Clearinghouse do? Why is it such an important service? Well, Jack, this goes back more than a decade now. I think the first dawning on us was uh, recognition of what the impact of America's highly mobile workforce is on the retirement system and in particular on an individual's retirement savings. So a lot of people know that America's workforce is mobile now, or they think this is a new phenomenon. It is not. The records go back probably 50 or 60 years at the Department of Labor that it shows the mobility of America's workforce. The average worker is going to hold, you know, 12 jobs. Their average tenure is less than five years. And what we realized was that while the retirement system is robust and is, you know, has many different types of service providers, as you said, record keepers, plan sponsors, advisors, you know, third parties, was that there was a gap in the system, a big gap, sort of a market inefficiency, if you will. The mobility of the workforce is not satisfied by the current infrastructure of the system. And that was the dawning for us. Give you a quick stat and then you know we can go from there, which is about 15 million people a year with a 401k plan change jobs. And the most stunning number that we came across as we dug deeper and deeper and deeper was that somewhere in the order of you know more than a third of those people cash out their retirement savings when they leave jobs, permanently disabling their ability to retire well. Okay, and if you look one layer deeper, you found that 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 number shot up to close to seventy percent of people with very small balances, and there's a very high correlation between that population and America's underserved and undersaved workers. So, the people with the least income, right, and minorities and women, were getting the worst end of the deal from a system that doesn't accommodate workers changing jobs and helping them in their retirement savings. 
Gotcha. So, Neil, you have a background in tech and as former president of Advisor Software Inc., ASI, and uh, you also spent some time with Empower and Morningstar in, in your past. Over the past nine or so years that you've been at Retirement Clearing House, tell us your backstory, what you've been up to, what you've been working on. You guys have, have really been pushing a rock up a hill here. So, maybe talk a little bit about what you all have been up to. Yeah. Well, I've been for Retirement Clearing House focused on sales, marketing, relationship management with the heavy focus on getting auto portability off the ground. And And why don't you explain that? Most of our listeners are not going to fully understand auto portability, but you've probably explained that a few times in your career. You bet. So let me make a parallel to my work at Empower, the letter M-P-O-W-E-R, as opposed to the record keeper Empower. So, you know, many of your listeners, Jack, may think the whole robo-advisor concept started with Wealthfront and Betterment and so forth, but it actually started in the, in the mid-90s when a, a firm called 401k Forum created the first online advice application for the workplace and quickly followed by financial engines. So the advent of online advice started in the retirement space back in the 90s. Interesting parallels with what we're doing. Obviously, in the retirement space, when you're working on technology, everything begins and ends with working with record keepers, since they're the gatekeepers to plan sponsor relationships, who are themselves the gatekeeper to participants who end up actually consuming or leveraging the service you provide. So a lot of what we're doing now in terms of signing up, working with record keepers, implementing very similar to those early online advice days. In fact, in both instances, back in the online advice days, we relied on a a key advisory opinion, the Sun America advisory opinion in 2001, which spoke to certain advice and not becoming a fiduciary, which would have required a privity transaction exception, right? Well, Retirement Clearinghouse, we started by getting an advisory opinion, but instead of not being a fiduciary, we're a fiduciary. So we had to get a privity transaction exception. And that's the guidance, that's the enabling regulation that today auto portability is built on that will soon be replaced by the um, legislation that will take effect at the end of the year embedded in Secure 2.0 that basically codifies auto portability. But a lot of parallels with what we're doing today in the retirement space with portability and then looking back in the 90s with online advice. So, Spencer, you've been at this. We founded Retirement Clearinghouse, and we're at the dawning of the whole auto portability effort. Why don't you maybe give us a little bit of, go beyond what Neil's already shared and talk a little bit about the history, but also the challenges, because you really had to get the big players in the workplace retirement area to work together. And I imagine you're still having those discussions, but talk a little bit about that, because this is an area... Many of our listeners are more from wealth and asset management, insurance and annuity, and are getting more and more familiar with the workplace side because that's kind of how everything's coming together. But uh, really what, as I understand it, or as, as we've talked about it over the years, really what you're doing is you're trying to help people not do dumb things with their 401k, to put it bluntly. So talk a little bit about that, explain that, and some of the challenges and really getting the industry to come together around the concept of auto portability. It's a great question, Jack, and there's there's probably three or four major hurdles that we've managed to get over in the last uh, decade or so. So actually been more than that now. The first one was it, it, you have to kind of go back to the roots of you know what is auto portability. It's a very simple concept. The simple concept is we create a mechanism by which 
a worker's retirement savings follow them from one job to another. I mentioned a few minutes ago that the population that we look at is the undersaved and underserved. So we have this mechanism in place in the industry. It came out of EGTRA 2001, which is a plan sponsor can essentially cash someone out from their retirement plan, okay? Push them out involuntarily if they have a small balance. There's lots of good reasons for that. But that particular event is executed by negative consent, meaning the worker can do something quickly with their savings, but they don't really have a choice. If they don't do something, their money moves, okay? What auto portability does is it actually marries or pairs with that concept of you can get pushed out of a plan with the concept of we can then push your savings to your new employer plan on a negative consent basis, all right? Yep. So the first hurdle we had to get over was this negative consent concept, all right? Neil mentioned the advisory opinion and the PTE. We didn't seek to get those at the beginning. We were actually in discussions with, and this will come into play in just a second, with six of the largest record keepers in the country. We sat down and said, here's a concept that has some very good business principles for you. We preserve savings. We incubate accounts for workers. You know, We just make the system healthier by doing this. And they actually said to us, well, great. Um, there's a lot of fiduciary problems going on right now. You know, Phyllis Borzy and that era of the Department of Labor, the fiduciary rules were all creating a lot of, you know, pull and tug in the system. They said, well, you're just going to have to go out and get regulation from the Department of Labor that authorizes this. Mm -hmm. We said, okay, we'll do that. That turned out to take about seven or eight years and three administrations, okay, before we, we actually got the Department of Labor to buy into the public policy good of retaining an individual savings in the system, you know, and incubating their account, all right? That was the first big hurdle. The second big hurdle was kind of back to the future, which is, okay, if you think about the essence of what's going on as a worker is leaving company A, and they're now employed at company B, and we want their savings to go from A to B. Well, A and B have different record keepers. We'll just use Fidelity and Empower, okay? Company A's plan is record kept by Fidelity. Company B's plan is record kept by Empower. In order to make this work, we have to get Fidelity and Empower, as well as company A and B, to agree to allow this to happen, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, now you multiply that times the 5 million, and actually it's closer to 6 million workers a year who have, who have are subject to these mandatory distributions from their plan. That's a really big challenge. It optimizes, the system optimizes the probability of the individual who is a company A showing up at company B and us being able to move their money is optimized when we get everybody in the industry to play. From the record keepers all the way down through the 630-odd plan sponsors that are in the defined contribution system today. So there's a critical mass hurdle. That, and this one is as difficult as it was to get regulation. The critical mass hurdle was equally significant. So I'll pause there for a second because I can keep talking and forever on this topic. But yeah. Well, Neil, why don't, you, why don't you pick it up from there? Why don't you talk about the challenges that Spencer just laid out here, because I know you spend a lot of time, we both you guys spend a lot of time on this whole topic. So sounds like you got the government on board, whether you intended to or not, they seems to have 
doing the right thing. And then now you have to deal with all these different uh, record keepers and then sponsors and all the rest. So when do you talk about then and what's the rest of the story? How are you getting everybody to come together? Because I gather you're making progress. I'm sure you're not all the way through, but talk a little bit about that if you would. Yeah. Well, you know, Spencer touched on it with the key public policy benefit of plug and cash out leakage. That's why all the players came together. You know, it helps everybody in the industry. Mm-hmm. Now, the challenge, first you sign up the record keeper, then the record keeper implements, and then they take the service to their plant sponsor. And, you know, we always joke internally about the speed of retirement. It just, it takes a long time for new services in the retirement industry to take hold. The retirement industry, the plant sponsors in particular are cautious by nature. Obviously, if you open up any of the, the trades, you, you see some new litigation against somebody in the industry related to uh, fees or something that they're doing with a plan. So, you know, rightfully so, very cautious. And oftentimes these things take time in the retirement industry to, to germinate. And at some point that tilts and it becomes almost a fiduciary issue if you don't adopt something that is so good for the participant. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we think we'll get there with this. I mean, if you think about it, Jack, looking ahead, where there's been behavior that participants have done that has worked against their best interest, the industry has adopted defaults that require the participant to opt out of the good behavior instead of opt in, right? So you saw that with participation, you saw that with target date funds, investment management, and so forth. Now, portability is sort of the last, the final frontier, if you will, in the retirement, where because of the frictions involved, that participants do the wrong thing and cash out, by forcing them to opt out, where the natural default path is that balance simply follows them when they change jobs, we think that'll you know, obviously change the equation. And we've seen defaults work on other areas. And that's what's going to happen here. This will be a ubiquitous default in the retirement industry, auto portability will, within three years. So, Spencer, give me your assessment of where things stand now and then where things are headed, because it sounds like we're sort of halfway through the movie and things are getting worked out. So, maybe talk a little bit about your assessment of where things are now and then where they're going to be. And when does auto portability become a thing that's just done as opposed to something to be strived for? Well, first of all, I hope we're more than halfway through this movie, Jack. So, okay. <laughs> it'll be a very long movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, your favorite Greek mythological character, Sisyphus, pushing the rock up the hill. Okay, yes. that's us. But I think yeah, the rock's yeah. at the top of the hill and starting to roll down. So, here's where we stand. There was a giant change in, if you will, the, the critical mass equation that occurred last September 30th. And that change was we formed an independent entity, Portability Services Network. It's best thought of as a joint venture between Retirement Clearinghouse and, at this point, five, soon to be six major record keepers, whom I can name, because this is all public. Portability Services Network includes Fidelity, Vanguard, Alight, Empower, and as of yesterday, TIAA. All right? Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Between them, if you do this on a participant count basis, we have well over 50% of the entire participant population in the United States represented, okay? They came together because of the public policy good, first and foremost. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention 
Retirement Clearinghouse and Portability Services Network Chairman Bob Johnson. Okay. Bob invested in this idea, you know, when we started. All right. But he didn't just invest capital. Bob invested his personal capital and, you know, including his ability to work with the Obama administration, the Trump administration, the Biden administration. Okay. As well as, you know, a who's who of large employer CEOs, NAACP, National Urban League. There literally is not a place in the country Bob can't go or get access to. And, and Spencer, for those, there's a lot of Johnsons kicking around our yeah. uh, industry. Maybe describe Bob's background. Yeah. So it's Robert L. Johnson. Bob uh, is a true blue entrepreneur, even at his age. Okay. Uh, he founded Black Entertainment Television way back, you know, back in the early 80s and uh, was probably the first black billionaire in this country. Very successful, you know, career. When he sold Black Entertainment Television off to Time Warner, I want to say 2002, I I might be off by a year or two, um, Bob said, you know what, I'm going to take some of my money. I'm going to start a, you know, family office, private equity operation, and I'm going to go find entrepreneurs that will, you know, take ideas that I can fund that will help the Black community. That is literally what he said when I met him, okay, in, in 2007, okay? I'm not sure we knew exactly what we were getting into then, Jack, just to be honest with you. Okay. But I do recall telling Bob that anything we do was going to take five to 10 years because it's the retirement system and that's how long everything takes. And to Bob's credit, he not only hung in there as an investor and chairman, but in terms of contributing his personal capital. So that Bob Johnson is a special guy. Yep. For sure. And by the way, just a personal note, uh, I've known Spencer a very long time, Neil as well. And uh, we got started roughly around the same time, both of us pushing rocks, all of us on this (laughs) podcast, pushing very large rocks up very large hills. And both of us, all of us can point to being on the other side of that mountain and see if we can catch up to the rock rolling down the hill. Neil, if you would pick up where uh, Spencer was talking about the progress that you're making and fill us in a little bit, if you would, where we are, anything that left unsaid by Spencer, but also where do you see this going? Well, you know, the first challenge, obviously, is to get this up and running and fully realizing the potential of auto portability and create the network. When you create the network to solve the problem of portability, then you start to think, Jack, of, you know, what other valuable uses of that network uh, are there? One good example would be to address the um, missing participant issue that is haunting the retirement industry that is certainly the subject of a lot of a DOL scrutiny over the years. One of the most accurate address records is the address record associated with an active participant. Mm-hmm. So if you have a record keeper that has a former employer with a stale address, one potential resource down the road is to tap into the network of record keepers and look for that active participant record address. And so there is another potential solution that the network creates. So the network effect over time can be huge uh, and can be leverageable to solve many problems beyond just the, the portability issue. 
Yeah, one of the things I find fascinating about what's going on in our industry, I, I describe it as the convergence of workplace and wealth that's all coming together. And you see places like Morgan Stanley and Empower and others that are, are trying to work both sides of it. In other words, whether they started as a wealth management firm and they're adding workplace or they start as a workplace firm and adding wealth management, it's coming together. And in all cases, not just those two examples, but literally in, in every case, what I see is, uh, I'd love to have you both comment on this is that the, the industry is coming together around how do we make it easier for the client or the participant to do the right thing and to benefit from being smart about it. There's, as we know, tax advantages with 401k plans. There's ways to, uh, to manage it across multiple accounts and multiple product types and so forth. So maybe Spencer, when you started off, but when you talk a little bit about that convergence, I'm sure you, you guys have a front row seat on what's going on there. Yeah, you know, we're we're kind of working the early days of a, a, a participant or a worker's journey through retirement, right? Which is in the small balance world, because that that that's where the most obvious problem, the largest numbers of, of problem occur. You know, so you know, we we see our job, you know, part of our job is this concept I mentioned earlier about account incubation, right? It's very simple, which is if you can encourage a worker in their first job or second job or even their third job. Who has two, four, five thousand dollars? You encourage them to keep that. Not only keep it, but get it to their new employer plan. Yep. Well, that five thousand yep. dollars becomes ten. Okay, and there's a funny thing that happens. Northern Trust did some research a number of years ago around account balance, the the uh, inverse correlation between account balance and cashing out. Okay, yep. and the inverse correlation is all of a sudden a ten thousand dollar account balance means something to a worker, whereas a $5,000 compounds might not. Okay. Yep. And you yep. get to 15 yep. and they say, I have to be serious about this now. This is more money than I have anywhere else. So exactly. again, our job, the way we see it is to incubate that thing. But if you think about the benefits of that down the road from an industry perspective, there shouldn't be an advisor on the plant who is against auto portability, right? Yep. Because it simply creates better customers for them later and they don't have to lift a finger no capital investment whatsoever right yeah, you know so the, yeah. the great rollover ira we are not against rolling over iras you know, that's not a hatfield and mccoy's thing or you know some crazy notion like that we get that every once in a while like well you guys are just trying to no 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 if you get a healthy retirement saver making their way through the system all of you who are managing money in whatever form or providing advice inside, outside a plan, however it's happening, you're in better shape. So just let it happen. Tell you a funny story. Our yeah. colleague uh, at Lifefield, Paul Samuelson, worked at the Ford, Ford Foundation. His first job out of college, he was an analyst there and had a 401k program that I think had maybe a Ten or twelve thousand dollars, I forget the exact number, in the plan when he left, and then sort of lost track of it. And they lost track of him, and somehow or another, he gets a he. They found each other, and he had seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in his four hundred one k plan. Holy moly! <laughs> Perfect example of incubating something. <laughs> Talk about found was, money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just you know just had lost track and the, right. the, the paperwork and all that sort of stuff. Forget about it, and so on. Anyway, well, you know, it's the, it's the theme that we we constantly try to talk to people and educate them on. Let compounding work for you. Yeah. Totally. Right. And that's what happened. Right. Yeah. 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 Neil, anything to add before we wrap up here? Yeah. You know, one other point, and this is probably a point that you're 
listeners um, advisors have wrestled with, which is you know rebalancing. You think of what we're doing; it is a systemic program of consolidation. And you know when you're consolidating accounts, it makes it a lot easier to service your clients' accounts when there's just one primary tax deferred account, wherever that is. Ultimately, maybe an IRA. So it really eases the servicing aspect of it, particularly around rebalancing. Well, buy and hold still works, always has, always will. And so uh, especially at, and for another day, talk about how you coordinate accounts, qualified, non-qualified, yeah. so a lot of tax advantage, which we at Layfield know a little bit about. So maybe perhaps for another time. So Just a smidge. <laughs> so Spencer, Neil, thanks. It's been a great conversation. As we look to wrap up, what I'd like to hear from each of you, typically we ask our guests for three takeaways, but I'm going to ask two each. What are two key takeaways from our conversation? So Spencer, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, I think I'll go back to the you know, kind of the principles behind auto portability. A key takeaway is create an infrastructure. You know, we, we really haven't used that word in this conversation that enables the, the free flow of a worker's savings to follow them to their new employer plan. And with, with the right communication, and it'll just happen automatically, right? Just like automatic enrollment, you know, we should see a gigantic change. So that's that preservation of the savings is key. Otherwise, there's no compounding. There's no advantage in, you know, investing in the U.S. economy, which is essentially what the stock market is, yep. you know? And the second one is be active. Okay, there's a call to action here. We haven't got to the last, you know, hurdle that we've got to get over, which is plan sponsor adoption. Plan sponsors, advisors, record keepers all have a role in that. Those decisions are generally taken jointly, right? The plan, the sponsor, the record keeper. Well, we'll enable the record keeper side, and we've got a huge coalition of the willing on the record keeper side. We think they'll do their job with plan sponsors. Advisors need to weigh in and do the same. Cool. Cool. Neil? Yeah, my two points are, are advisor-focused. So, you know, you think about auto portability is a huge benefit for advisors. And Spencer touched on this. The, the um, consolidation notion and account incubation just means and plugging cash out leakage. So it's an N plus one concept where there's more assets that the participant has now to apply to goals. It just makes so much sense, you know, for advisors to, to have this in their toolkit for their clients. And then on the RPA side, for their plan sponsor clients, you think about what we're doing over time with auto portability. We're reducing the number of accounts, but retaining the assets in the system. So over time, a key plan metric like average account balance goes up and there's no cost to the, to the plan. So it's a great service for RPAs to take to their plan sponsor clients and it also has the residual benefit of addressing issues like, you know, administrative hassles like lost and missing participants. So I think for the advisor, it's a, really a win-win situation with all of That's great. That's great. So Spencer and Neil, it's been a real pleasure to spend this time with you. We catch up from time to time. It's uh, good to hear a the professional version of what you all do. And congratulations. You've, I know you've put in a lot of hard work and really made a difference in the industry. So thank you for that. And as we do with uh, each of our podcasts, my favorite question we ask as we look to close is what's something you do outside of work that you're excited or passionate about that people might find interesting or surprising? Spence? Well, I have many passions, but I'll just start with the, the one. And it's, it's probably going to sound routine when I start, which is 
you know, my family is my passion, Jack. Yeah, sure. Yeah. My spouse and I have been married for 42 years. We have 13 children wow. and we have 37 grandchildren. So wow. those of you who are looking forward to, you know, your golden years, <laughs> I don't have enough hours in the day. And yes, I know all of their names and birthdays, uh, but I'll bet most of your <laughs> listeners will find that surprising. <laughs> I did not know. I've known you for years. I did not know that mm -hmm. uh, aspect. So thank you for sharing that. That's wonderful. Neil? Well, compared to Spencer, I am neither interesting or surprising. Uh, <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> I find that to be wholly false. Anyway. <laughs> I do have, um, and, and Spencer shares this with me, I do have a passion for wine. You know, coming from Northern California, that's not surprising. Not only do I drink, I collect it. I do have, you know, a wine room that I built for it. And I'm about to start cultivating it as I'm in the process of planting Chardonnay vines on our back hill. We have actually here in the East Bay of Northern California, a great climate for uh, Chardonnay grapes. And so I am starting a, my gig job of, um, of wine grape growing. So. Great, great. Well, I, I will have to see if it passes muster when next time we get together. So we'll get in line. You're behind me, Jack. That's probably the optimal word there for the first couple of uh, <laughs> <Yeah. religions. laughs> Well, good for you. That's great that uh, you've taken that on and made your passion, extended your passions. That's great. So for our audience, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share what we're doing here at Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Spencer Neal, this has been great fun. Great to catch up. Congratulations on what I know to be very hard work over a long period of time. You guys deserve a lot of credit for uh, really making a difference in a whole lot of participants' lives. And so thanks for that good work. Thanks, Jack. We're almost there. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.